Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to this month's Michigan Man Extra. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Signing day in February will never be what it used to be. The majority of recruits committed to their school of choice during December's early signing period. Michigan ended the 2019 cycle with 26 commits, and they are now hard at work on the class of 2020. It just never ends. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any program, which means it is very important to have aggressive young coaches on your staff that recruit with passion. We have new additions to the staff, and my guest today says that even though we lost two great recruiters in Madison and Washington, both to Ohio State, the new staff additions are highly regarded young recruiters but only time will tell. Joining us with our first recruiting update of the year is Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports here on The Michigan Man in partnership with SB Nation's Maze in Brook. Here with us on our Michigan Man Extra for the month of February, and it's been a while, Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports. Great to uh, finally get you back, Steve. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, and uh, this is our first recruiting uh, update of the year. And let's start, Steve, by um, wrapping up that 2019 class. It was 26 commitments, I believe. Best in the Big Ten. Maybe Penn State might close in with uh, on that. But uh, now that it's over, your evaluation of this class. I, I think, and it's it, I don't know, it's weird because you kind of have to collect yourself because you go back like 2016, 2017 were both really nice classes. Uh, we're now in 2019, and so we can already kind of see how those classes are faring, uh, you know, under Harbaugh. So you don't want to get caught up in the moment uh, and say that you that I think that the 2019 class is his best class. Uh, but I kind of tend to believe that. Uh, I think a few, couple things that they really did this cycle that I thought were really, really important. They finally, there were, you know, under Harbaugh, they've recruited almost every position at a high level at some point, you know, so you look at 17 at wide receiver where they got, you know, Nico Collins, Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Oliver Martin. Uh, defensive line, you know, they've recruited the defensive line pretty well. Defensive back, uh, at cornerback specifically is a spot, Lavert Hill, David Long, Ambry Thomas. I mean, they've gotten guys. Uh, in 19, they hit home runs at the two positions that I don't think they had really hit a home run at under Harbaugh at, at safety and at running back, you know, at safety with Daxon Hill. Maybe their biggest recruiting win under Harbaugh uh, with the whole back and forth with Alabama. Uh, you know, there were people on our Alabama site had written early on in Hill's recruitment that he was, uh, according to Saban, was the best high school safety prospect he'd recruited since taking the job at Alabama. Uh, don't know how valid that is or whatever, but based on Alabama's continued pursuit of him after his Michigan commitment, it's, it's pretty obvious they held him in pretty high regard, as did pretty much everyone else in the country. So, you know, that was a, a massive win, not just because of beat, for beating Alabama, uh, but you get a, a, a five-star instant impact guy at a position that they really have kind of taken more project-type guys at. You know, you think of guys like Jameric Woods, Brad Hawkins, mm -hmm. Sammy Faustin, guys that uh, definitely uh, had the up, had the upside or had the upside, but weren't guys who weren't going to come in right away and play. With Hill, I mean, 
I think you could make the argument he's going to be the favorite to take Tyree Cannell's spot uh, this fall. I, w- I would think even then that's despite him enroll not enrolling until the summer. I mean, I think he's that good. So he'll at the very least be, you know, one or two, I think. So to get a guy at that position, which again, and we saw late in the season where, you know, Michigan loves to go man to man. They love to use their safeties in that aspect as well. Hill's better than anyone they've recruited in that regard too. So, you know, he's a plus plus addition across the board. And then Zach Charbonnet at running back, kind of a guy that I think we were way ahead of the curve at 24 seven myself. And he was the number one running back on Michigan's recruiting board, the entire process. Uh, that was a, that's a no doubt, 100% statement. They offered him very early. Uh, his recruitment was very quiet. I, I don't know if he did any interview that wasn't like an analyst actually going to his school and talking to him. Uh, so, you know, the other, and the other thing really interesting about him is he ended up rising about 400 spots in our rankings mm-hmm. throughout the process and did it without going to the Under Armour or Nike like camps or any of that stuff. It was all based off of film and in-person evaluations by our analysts of like actual games that he was playing in, which, you know, in-person evaluations of a game are always going to be the, that's what you want to try to get, uh, but you can't, you're not going to get to every prospect's game and, you know, that type of deal. There are as many guys as we have on the road. You're not going to get uh, a guide out to every prospect, see every player, whatever. Uh, with Charbonnet, they were, we were fortunate enough to get guys out there a couple times, and uh, he was able to, you know, I know Greg Biggins, our West Coast guy, said he's one of the best running backs to come out of the West Coast in the last 10, 15 years. So uh, two huge, huge additions at, you know, positions that, like I said, not only had they not really maybe hit a home run at, but positions that they could really maybe use a guy this year. You know, with Charbonnet, I think, is a guy that I'd be surprised if he didn't see some carries this year. You know, with, with uh, Amore Samuels off the team now, Higdon graduating, and, and Chris Evans' situation kind of up in the air. You know, I think Charbonnet's and, – and Charbonnet did enroll early, too, so he's got that going for him. Uh, other big thing for me was what they did on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of the talk about the offensive line was – well, they didn't get Devontae Dobbs. They didn't get Logan Brown, you know, and how, how could they miss on two uh, big in-state guys? Uh, I kind of feel like while Brown especially, I think you would consider maybe a miss, I, I think they more than made up for it with the guys they got. Uh, you look at Trent Jones as another guy that moved up like 300-plus spots. Uh, we are uh, right before signing day, 24-7, did this we did this new feature where individual analysts myself included were able to rank who we thought were the top 32 guys in the country which is how many five stars they hand out every year Mm -hmm. and we had five or six guys in our network who think that trent jones is a five-star player uh again when he committed to michigan i had wrote a report about you know he's uh he played for grayson in in loganville georgia which is the, arguably the most loaded college or uh, high school program in the country. I mean, they have double-digit Division One guys on their roster, including I think four of their starting five had SEC offers uh, as juniors, including Wanya Morris, who was a five-star for a lot of the process, ranked way ahead of Jones at the time. When Jones committed to Michigan, 
I was told that Jones is a better prospect than Morris. Got kind of ridiculed about it a little bit by some SEC people. Uh, Jones finished about 10 spots below Morris in the final ranking. So, and that, again, at the time, there was about a 300-spot gap between the two of them. You know, uh, So you get Trent Jones. They beat Georgia, Penn State for Trevor Keegan. You have Nolan Rumler, who was committed to Michigan for like seven years. Uh, you have Zach, Zach Carpenter is a guy that they beat Clemson head-to-head for. Uh, Clemson was 100% on the crystal wall when he committed to Michigan, including mine. I was wrong on that one. I thought he was going to commit to Clemson. Uh, you have uh, Carson Barnhart, who, again, some people think that Barnhart might be the best one of the group. You know, And then, uh, and then the other one is Jack Stewart out of Connecticut, mm-hmm. kind of that classic East Coast guy that didn't really get evaluated. Uh, his senior film was very good. He also got a 100-plus spot bump right before uh, second signing day. Our guys watched, our national guys watched his senior film and really liked what they saw, and he was, he's, was about as close as you can get to becoming a four-star. So you look at Michigan's offensive line this year, you know, they look really deep. They look deep already. You know, they bring back four starters. Uh, Andrew Stuber started the last two games. I know he made a struggle a little bit, but, you know, your first two games are at Ohio State. And uh, in the bowl game against Florida, who had a great front four, you know, not the best way to start your college career against uh, those two teams, but still look pretty solid in, in spots. You have got every backup uh, is, a, is at least a second-year guy. And then you bring in six you know, pretty highly touted true freshmen. I, I think, you know, and I think we could start, we're starting to see it in 2018, but I think this year that you can finally say that Michigan has a set solid foundation and a set solid future on the offensive line, you know, and that's, it's been years. Uh, you know, I look at, I always go back to the 2013 offensive line class where they got six guys, five of them were like top 150 guys, not one of them panned out. And I think it really killed Michigan's, offensive line obviously but I think it just hurt the program for years because every year they were having to play guys that maybe weren't ready yet and I think with you add this six-man group in this cycle uh, and I think you have what I would say is finally like you have depth you have talent uh, you have a ton of depth you know because one of these freshman guys could come in and compete you know it's like it's not a foregone conclusion you know, because a couple of these guys, Rumler is one. I think that is it could challenge immediately. You know, so you got you have a lot of a lot of bodies now, and you have a lot of talent. And Michigan hasn't had that on the offensive line in, in years. Well, you've talked about uh, the the two home runs, or the the two we talk about the most, Charbonnet and Dax Hill. But how many of the kids in this class do you see getting immediate contention for a, a two deep spot or playing time, other than those two? I think the other one that's pretty. I guess I'd say easy to, to look at is, is Mozzie Smith, uh, a defensive tackle out of East Kentwood. Uh, he's already on campus. You know, we know Lawrence Marshall's gone. Brian Monet is gone. Aubrey Solomon transferred. I think Carlo Kemp played well. I think Michael Dwumfort got better as the year went on. But I think Michigan really, really needs a couple more big bodies in the middle. I think Smith is a guy, Another he's another one too, had an amazing week at the Under Armour All-American game, both in practice and in the game. He, I think, finished the process ranked higher than he had been throughout. You know, was a guy I think was sitting sort of on the back end of our top 247. Uh, he got like a 70 or 75 spot bump. 
uh, after his performance at that Under Armour game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's a guy coming in kind of on a, on a, on the rise almost, you know, and again at a spot of need. Uh, I suspect he's a guy that will at least get opportunities, you know, because I think, like I said, you have Kemp, you have Dwum for. Think it's now or never for Donovan Jeter this year, you know. So the opportunity is really there for young guy to come in there and and make an impact. And with that said, I think the other one is probably Chris Hinton, who is also going to be an interior guy. And again, another guy that and this is the weirdest thing is uh, not weird, but you know, Michigan really deserves a lot of credit for their evaluations this cycle. Uh, a lot of these guys got ended up getting like nice bumps after people actually saw them in person. You know, Hinton was a guy that was a five-star for a while. We had bumped him down. Based off of what, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I don't know if his, I think his senior film was okay. I don't think it was spectacular, but I don't think it warranted. He was bumped down about 60 or 70 spots. Gets to the, well, it's the Adidas All-American game. I still call it the Army All-American game, mm-hmm. even though the Army doesn't sponsor it anymore. But, uh, you know, he showed up there and was one of the top five, ten players there all week. And then, so he basically got bumped right back up to, right out, right next to about five-star status. And like, much like Jones, a lot of our individual analysts thought that Hinton, think that Hinton's a five-star guy. So again, he doesn't have the benefit of enrolling early, like Smith does, uh, but... He'll be in. He'll be on campus in July. I think the biggest thing for him is to stay focused from now until that point. You know, until fall, until he gets to campus, gets acclimated, and then you know, fall camp starts. But you know, he's another one I think has a real shot to play uh, very, very quickly. So those are the two other guys. I mean, you go across the board. I don't know. I mean, it's it's their roster is so it feels so deep at so many positions right now you know, that it's kind of hard to project. I mean, it's like you want to say a guy like, well, Jalen Perry, four-star cornerback, he enrolled early, but then you got to look and think, you know, you still have Miles Sims who hasn't played. Jamon Green from last year was a guy that they loved. And then Vincent Gray out of Rochester Adams may have had the best first season of any of their defensive backs, you know. So a lot of the other guys, you know, I don't know, like maybe a Mike Sainer still or a a Giles Jackson at, Mm -hmm. at sort of that slot receiver, with especially with, what Gaddis looks sounds like he wants to do in the passing game. You know, I could see one of those two guys. Sainer still did enroll early. Jackson's not on campus till this summer. Uh, I could see one of those two guys maybe getting some run. Uh, but I, I do. I think it's. I do think it's a class where, for the most part, I think a lot of guys are probably gonna. You know, they'll get their four, their two or three appearances because of the new redshirt rule. But I'm not sure how many of these guys are gonna be on the field right away. Well, Steve, who are some of the uh, under the radar kids or sleepers in this class that you really like? So, so Saner still is kind of the one that has been talked about so much that he's not really a sleeper anymore. Like I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, it's like he's the easy answer. So then he gets talked about as being such a sleeper that really he's not a sleeper at all. Uh, I go back. I like George Johnson. It's like every year I always pick the guy that's recruited to play receiver that was a quarterback in high school. I did it with Michael Barrett in 2018. Uh, Johnson was a guy, you know, our Miami analyst, Andrew Ivins, saw him live a few times. He said personally he thought that Johnson's a four-star guy. Uh, he was one of the guys that didn't really end up getting a bump. And I think there's some difficulty in uh, sort of – uh, projecting and grading a guy who plays quarterback, you know, to 
to project to a position that he's not really playing in high school, you know? So like mm-hmm. he's not going to play quarterback at Michigan. So he's going to play receiver and there's his film as receiver is so limited. You know, I think it, sometimes it can be kind of difficult to say, well, yeah, the guy's really athletic, but we don't know anything about his hands, anything about his ability to run routes, you know? So I think they sometimes play it rather safe than sorry and kind of just keep a guy where he's at. Uh, but Johnson's a guy that I really like. You know, people forget they beat Florida State and Georgia head-to-head there, and, you know, Georgia was one of the schools that was pretty heavy in on him. You know, and Florida State, while at this on this very day, that may not sound like a big recruiting victory because of how horrible they were, mm-hmm. uh, they beat Florida State before the season when Taggart was a new, you know, new flashy hire at the time. So, you know, I put a little more stock into beating them then on the recruiting trail than I do with maybe now, you know. So uh, so Johnson's another guy. And then the other guy is, is Gabe Newberg is one of the lower-ranked, like, three-star guys. Uh, Bill Green, our Ohio guy, has compared him to Chase Winovich as far as that that motor, uh, which I think everyone listening would know what that means. I mean, you don't really have to describe it when it comes to how Chase likes to play football. So I think they see a similar guy here. Uh, his ranking stayed pretty static throughout as well. I don't know if they got an in-person evaluation this year or not, uh, but as a guy who really uh, bleeds, one of those bleeds maize and blue kind of guys too. Uh, Michigan State had offered him very early. They were favored on the crystal ball until Michigan offered him a scholarship. And like it or not, I mean, I always take a lot of stock into a guy that Michigan State wants on the defensive line because they've done, they've always done such a good job of not just finding but developing guys on the edge. I mean, yeah, Willickis is probably going to be an All-American next year. You know, he was a, he was a walk-on. Right. You know, they've done that a couple times. So anytime I ever see a guy that State uh, likes on the edge, I'm inclined to believe that there's at least the potential for the guy to be really good. And uh, Newberg was a guy that Michigan State wanted really early on in the process. So, uh, you know, Michigan came in. That was an Al Washington, too. Obviously, he's no longer with the program, but uh, Al Washington was a guy who was really high on Gabe Newberg when he was at Cincinnati. Came through when he when he started at Michigan. I think Newberg was a guy that they kind of continued that relationship with. And then, you know, like I said, come to find out, he grew up a huge, huge Michigan fan from a Michigan family. So, uh, so he's another one I keep an eye on. Again, not maybe not this year. Uh, but he did enroll early, so again, sometimes these early enrollee guys, you never know. I mean, he could come in and just be a beast, you know. I mean, it's it's hard to say, but uh, but he's another guy I think maybe people are sleeping a little bit too much on. Well, when you bring in a great class like this, it means your assistants have really done a great recruiting job. Of course, Madison and Washington are gone. We know what they meant to recruiting. So right now, we, we hear a lot about Chris Partridge and Jay Harbaugh. They're very unique. They like to use social media. But Sharon Moore, is, he has to be right up there. He, I believe, was the lead or uh, handling Dax Hill in his recruiting. He's a, another young guy. He's doing a really nice job, isn't he, Steve? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you meant. I was wondering if you were going to mention Sharon. Uh, he's, he was. He was, the, he was the lead on Dax Hill. Finished it, right? So Al Washington came very close to finishing the Zach Harrison recruitment for Michigan. Uh, that was a back-and-forth thing at the last-minute type deal. And uh, but Moore was able to finish with Hill. You know, I think that was a little bit of the difference there. My one of the other things I've probably said this about Partridge in the past. One of the biggest indicators that that a coaching staff or that a head coach knows that they have a really good recruiter is that you throw him into some recruitments that maybe you're not sure why. 
like say that his like that why a tight end coach is recruiting a safety. Yeah. You know, from and and granted now Moore played for Oklahoma, so he was he's familiar with the area. I know that's part of the reason he was involved to begin with, but I'm even looking at like twenty twenty where Michigan's recruiting a guy like Braden McGregor, who out of Port Huron, who really, in my opinion, may be their top overall target in the class right now. And and Moore is his primary recruiter. They're they're doing a lot of the same things with him that they did with Partridge and that if there's a guy that they really, really like, they at least get him involved because he's so effective in recruiting these kids. And and again, it's it's a lot about passion. You know, you have to have a passion just for the recruiting game itself. Uh, you have to have an ability to connect with kids and their families and, and you have to be, you know, you have to put in the work and, and he's done all three of those things. So he's a guy. Yeah. I mean, he's on the, definitely on the rise uh, from a national standpoint on the recruiting trail. I think he finished pretty high. You know, we do the recruiting rankings. Partridge was the top finishing Michigan assistant. Again, probably worth noting for uh, fans listening out there. I think Josh Gaddis would have been at Alabama, would have been, I think, in the top 20 overall. Uh, and that's not just because he went to Al- because he was at Alabama. I mean, when he was at Penn State, I think he finished in the top 10 one season. So uh, they are adding a nationally known big-time elite recruiter in that regard. So, uh, But with Moore, yeah, I think, I think he's a guy that's definitely on the rise there. And like I said, I think, you know, we I'll write articles about kids that they're really recruiting. And it's funny because, yeah, it's like a lot of times it just pops up that, you know, Partridge, let's say, is involved. And, and I'm starting to notice more and more uh, that it, uh, that Sharon Moore is also kind of in that conversation for a lot of these top guys, whether they're tight ends or not, you know. And so uh, so he's done a great job. And then, yeah, Jay Harbaugh, same story with Jay Harbaugh. I think a guy that, you know, the nepotism stuff is just so stupid. Uh, you know, he got them their top tight end target in 2016 with Devin Asiasi. Uh, he got, he was on the precipice of reeling in Najee Harris, which that was to this day, probably the closest recruit. I mean, that was like enrolled at both schools type close, uh, was a recruitment that Michigan had no business winning, uh, that he had almost pulled off. He got them their top tight end target in 2018 with Mustafa Muhammad. Uh, and then now he's gotten them their top running back target in 2019 with Zach Charbonnet. I think he is. It's one or the other with him. People either seem to think he's overrated, again, and that's all just because he's Jim Harbaugh's mm-hmm. son. I think that's the only reason. If his name was like Bill Thomas, like everyone would think he's the greatest. You know, he's the best, one of the best recruiters in the country. But, um, you know, so, so yeah, Jay Harbaugh again, and has them in on a bunch of top guys again in 2020 already. So, you know, they, I think, uh, big picture wise, I think with the subtractions from the staff and then the additions in return, I think you're going to see an uptick at least in the effort and in the, maybe the amount that we start hearing about Michigan from some elite kids, because I think they're just stronger across the board on the recruiting trail now uh, with the new, the new hires that they've made. Well, it's a very young staff and uh, we're hearing good things about them, but overall Jim shown, he is not afraid to recruit and offer in States that really haven't been traditional hotbeds for Michigan. We've seen George over the last few years, it looks like we're trying to get into uh, Arizona, even Virginia. Do you see that trend of uh, going into uh, non-traditional areas? Do you see it moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, Michigan's such, such a national brand, you know, because I, I've, I've been, I don't know, standing on the, standing on the box. I don't know what you'd say, like when you're pretending to yell, but <laughs> Michigan, like they, like, I've been a huge advocate of them trying to recruit California very heavily right now because I look at California right now the same way I looked at Texas when Ohio State went into Texas and, you know, reeled in some big names out of there. You know, the deal back then was, you know, Texas was down under Charlie Strong. A&M was down under Kevin Sumlin. You know, and Texas has got so many big-time kids, right? Mm -hmm. I look at California right now. Clay Helton is pretty much a lame duck head coach at USC. Chip Kelly doesn't seem to have any idea how to recruit. Uh, you know, I think the door is wide open there. Oregon came in and cleaned house in California last cycle. I mean, I want to say they signed like 11 or 12 kids out of California, most of which were like legitimate four-star guys out of Southern California. You know, and so uh, – you know, I go back to Michigan being a brand where, yeah, they can go into Arizona. They've offered, I think, 10 or 11 guys in the 2020 cycle, which my math was right. I think I said this before. was uh, It's more guys than they've offered in the last six cycles combined out of Arizona. So they definitely made a, they've made a point to recruit that area really well. Part of that's just because there's just a higher group. There's a bigger group of better kids there this cycle. I don't know if that's a thing that's going to keep going in the future or not. Uh, Virginia, yes, Virginia was an area that they recruited under Hoke very heavily. I think they're going to get back in there as well. Uh, but I go back to California. It's a state that everybody recruits because it's California. I mean, it's there's too many big time kids out there for not, you know, for every school to not put some effort out there. Uh, but I go like I kind of it's funny. I go back to when Michigan was making their tournament run last year in the basketball with the game against A and M in Florida State. Mm-hmm. If you want to see the 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 foundation of alumni and just the, the presence of that Michigan has in the Los Angeles area, just watch those two games. Those are yeah. borderline home games. <laughs> it's true. You know, so yeah. yeah you're right. So there's like, there's a presence out there just like in any big city. I know Chicago is always kind of the big one for Michigan is, you know, there's such a huge alumni presence there, but you know, basically any major city, but I think LA is another one of those big ones. And uh, so I've been kind of a big advocate of Michigan really trying to get into California because like I said, you're not going to find USC and UCLA both being down the way they are right now, like very often at all. Just like in Texas when, you know, Ohio State's getting J.K. Dobbins and J.T. Barrett and those guys, like when Texas and Texas A&M both happen to kind of stink at the same time, like yeah. that's not going to happen very often. You know, and so uh, and uh, the ironic thing there is that I think Texas is one of the programs that is also intelligently – trying to raid California right now and then bring in some of their big-time prospects. I mean, there was the whole Brew McCoy deal, you know, the five-star out of Southern California signed with Texas. They signed another top 100 kid out of California too. So, you know, that's that's where I think – that's one area I think Michigan should hit hard. They're always going to be hitting those weird states. I mean, they're still doing a lot of work out in New England. Uh, you know, they love Massachusetts, Connecticut. You know, Don Brown will pretty much automatically put Michigan in almost any race out in that area. You know, they're not going to get all of them. Uh, but they they will be in the race for pretty much any of those kids, you know. So I think, uh, you know, it is though. I mean, it is, in Georgia, yeah, Georgia, same deal. I mean, that's Partridge's pretty much his second home uh, besides New Jersey uh, is Georgia, you know, because he's he's been out there a ton again, and, and they got a lot of guys up there that are down there that are interested in 
uh, coming up to visit. So, you know, it, it is a deal where Michigan is a national brand. They can go into those random states like that and uh, kind of entrench themselves. You know, but I always look at some of those, you know, in Arizona, maybe sort of similar to California where it's like, well, you know, Arizona State looks okay under Herm Edwards. Don't really know what Arizona is going to do under Sumlin. You know, it's like I think in-state kids maybe in there, maybe they're prone to, more prone to leaving than, well, say Texas now is not going to be as easy to get into, right? Because you got Tom Herman. They, they finished the year very, very strong. Texas A&M looks like they're on the rise again with, with Jimbo Fisher. It's going to be harder and harder to get into Texas right now. You know, so – uh, it is. That's one of the fun parts. I love the logistical stuff of it. But but they've definitely put more effort in Arizona, Virginia, New Jersey too. The Campanile hire has it's going to help them there too. Not that Partridge already wasn't a big help there, but that'll only strengthen their position in New Jersey. And uh, and then like I said, I I'm just a big advocate of them trying to go into California and make some more moves. Speaking of Campanile, I've um, heard him talk a couple of times, and you talk about passion being the big thing in recruiting. He is. Uh... He's wired. Have you heard him talk? Yeah. No, and that's, you know, he's kind of the, I'd say the wild card. Because, uh, you know, at Boston College, it's sort of similar to Don Brown where it was like, okay, so can he do it at Michigan? You know, it was like far as like all the success Don Brown was having at a school like Boston College. With Campanile, I think it was the same deal as far as recruiting goes, but no doubt. Uh, I think he's got it in spades. Uh, I know that, you know, he and Partridge go back a really, really long ways. Uh, pretty much, I want to say like to high school, if not further back. And they're almost the same age. They've kind of taken similar paths. Uh, you know, so I suspect that he's going to be as effective, not as effective on the trail as Partridge, because that's hard to be hard to replicate. But I think the potential is there, though. And, uh, and again, you go back to like youth, right? I think youth is always kind of the common factor, you know, and, and also they, Guys who, my opinion, guys who have been to the NFL and then come back are not as into recruiting as guys who have just kind of come through the college pipeline because in the NFL, you don't have to recruit anybody. That's like that whole part of the game is not, it's non-existent. Your whole job is to just coach, you know, and so like some of these NFL guys don't spend much time or they spend, they get a lot more time with their families actually than college assistants do because, they're not on the road like five months out of the year, right? So mm-hmm. Campanile is a guy, like I said, has taken a similar pipeline to Partridge. Uh, yeah, young, energetic, uh, very thick New Jersey accent as well for whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing I noticed listening to him. He has very, very <laughs> thick New Jersey accent. Uh, that's what somebody on our board was joking that uh, – they call their pasta. He probably calls his pasta sauce gravy. I think that's what they call it out there. It's like you know, that's how thick his accent is. You know, so um, so yeah, I, I definitely like, and that's what you look for. Like I said, that passion, not just about coaching, but I said about recruiting. And uh, you know, again, he's kind of the wild card. Like I'm, he's the one I'm kind of most interested to see how he fares uh, on the recruiting trail because you know, Nua I think was having some real success at Arizona State. Gaddis, we've already talked about. McDaniels will be interesting, too. Uh, he might be their guy in Ohio. I suspect he would be, with his dad kind of being like an Ohio high school legend mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at Canton McKinley. Uh, and then also with the connection, I think Josh McDaniels from Ohio. You know, he's from Ohio. So, he's you know, he's another one I'm going to be interested in, but Ohio's never going to be easy for Michigan to get in. I think Al Washington going to Ohio State, you know, is 
obviously going to make that even harder is because yeah, I think he was actually making some inroads for Michigan and Ohio, but um, you know, Campanile is the one I'm, I'm really just, I'm kind of interested to see how he fares, how often we hear his name pop up and, and what the kids have to say about him. Speaking about Ohio, Urban is gone. So, I mean, a lot of people I talk to say, well, Michigan makes some inroads in Ohio right now. And I've heard you say this before, and I believe it too, that Ohio is probably the only Big Ten state that has an SEC mentality when it comes to uh, high school coaches and high school players. You just just assume that the best are going to uh, Ohio State. Even now, Ryan Day, new head coach, I don't see that changing. Do you? No, I don't see it changing. Not unless, you know, again, it, it, and it, this is what we've always, you know, and it's been unfortunate that we've had to continue to talk about it, but Michigan's going to have to win one of these games to yeah. become a factor there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. If they can win, then, yeah, they can become a factor there. They're going to get guys from there either way. I mean, they just did sign six of them, six kids from Ohio this cycle. But I'd say outside of Rumler, I don't think any of them were guys that Ohio State would have maybe made a move on, right? So um, maybe Zach Carpenter, but uh, even then, I'm not 100% sure. So, you know, I, I, it is. It's going to come down to it's going to come down to having having to win that game at some point because that's all the Ohio State's going to have to do is say you really want to go up north and lose, you know, type deal. Mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. as corny and as you know as annoying as that sounds, it's a fact right now. You know, and so they can use that. And Ohio State's still putting guys in the pros. You know, Ryan Day's already got Dwayne Haskins he can lean on for, you know, what he did with him, turning him into a first-round pick. And uh, I don't know if Urban's fully removed either necessarily. I think he's kind of snaking around there on campus still in some capacity. So I don't know how much of a role he plays recruiting-wise, but, uh, you know, isn't he like associate athletic director or mm-hmm. something like that? So, yeah, uh, great move for him. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, but but anyway, so to me, I think the biggest thing is it is that they're going to have to win some games. They're going to have to win that game, uh, get to Indy. You know, I think because that's the way you kind of look at it is like it's sort of been a step by step process for Michigan. I think right now they're at the point where I think the next big hurdle is kind of conquering Ohio State, and then you can go on from there, right? I mean, because that's really been the one thing that stopped them. I mean, we could be talking about a Michigan team that was in the playoffs twice in the last three years if they could have won that game, right? I mean, that's really the only thing that kept them from getting there. So that, so logically, I think that would be looked at as the next step. In the time For the time being, yeah, I think recruiting in Ohio is going to be tough sledding, at least when it comes to, like I said, guys that Ohio State wants. I mean, there were kids like Darian Henry in 2020 is a guy I think that Al Washington had maybe put them in the race for. I think with Al Washington going to Ohio State, uh, I, I'd be sure. Marion Henry went to Michigan now. I think he's probably a pretty locky lock to Ohio State at this point, you know. So and I think that's sort of going to be the norm. You know, I think Michigan, what Michigan will have to do for the time being is either bank on, like, a kid like Rumler who grew up a Michigan fan, Michigan family. I mean, that was one where that he was going to Michigan the whole way. I mean, that was a no-doubter. Regardless if Ohio State was interested or not, I know he originally hesitated on committing early because he didn't want to listen to the – crap for two years that he was going to get which is actually a thing i mean i've been told that by multiple guys that you know there are kids in ohio who are don't even like to be interested in michigan because they hear it from not just their buddies but i mean i'd I'd say like from their like high school coaches from their like families it's really weird uh you know but but with the rumler deal i mean he did he ended up committing early but was originally 
uh, pretty hesitant to do so because he just didn't want to listen to it. And I would say, too, that I know Zach Harrison, when that recruiting battle was getting pretty heated, I know that was one thing that gave him pause was the whole, you know, I don't know, would you say fallout, I guess, from an Ohio kid, like of his caliber committing to Michigan over Ohio State. I know that was something that was talked about and uh, was considered, you know. So it's like it is. It's a different, little bit of a different world down there, for better or for worse. Um, and Michigan, like I said, I think Michigan, they'll have to pick and choose their spots. You know, maybe they can, I think they're, Ohio's an area, and I think Michigan State has shown, especially, that, you know, not every, like there are plenty of three-star, high three-star, low four-star guys in Ohio that can become really productive college players, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think Michigan leans on their evaluations a little bit, maybe steal a guy every once in a while until they can kind of get past, get that monkey off their back in the game and then and then move forward from there. We think it's a great recruiting class, as you said. We don't know. I remember Bo Schembechler used to always answer the question, "How? what do you think of your recruiting class coaching? He'd say, ask me in four years. So we, yep. Thi- yep. we think these 26 commits are good, and so do a lot of other people. But we shall see. Spring practice is uh, starting in March. Um, and just a final thought for you, uh, Steve. We'll talk uh, the next time we get together. We'll talk about the uh, the 2020 class because that's uh, going to be growing and a hot topic the rest of the year. But it was announced, I think, uh, yesterday that Michigan is traveling to South Africa. And I'm not sure. I didn't see all the details um, during spring practice or after spring practice. So they had really been keeping that quiet since the end of the season. I was beginning to wonder, is that not going to happen this year? But uh, that's a long trip. Yeah, I mean, it was always going to happen. I mean, that, that's that been a, uh, that's actually kind of been a, a thing that has really turned into a big recruiting plus for them are these trips uh, contrary to popular belief. Uh, I don't think Michigan's trip to, I don't even know where they went last year. Was it Paris? Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that did not lose them the game against Ohio state. The <laughs> fact that they had taken a trip like 10 months before that uh, didn't mean it meant nothing by the time that game came around. Uh, <laughs> these trips have been really, really beneficial uh, for the players, the coaches, and it has been a really big help on the, for the, uh, on the recruiting trail, I mean, multiple. You know, I know multiple kids last year excited when Jim Harbaugh's FaceTiming them from the Eiffel Tower mm-hmm. or wherever he was, or from the Coliseum when they were in Rome. You know, it's like that type of stuff is for a lot of kids is really cool. You know, and it's still something that's unique, Michigan-wise. Like no other programs have really kind of adopted these trips, which to me is kind of surprising uh, when you consider, well, how much money, you know, I know Michigan is paid for by donors, uh, but I mean, so do the, a lot of these other huge schools have tons and tons of donors too. You know, it's just a little a bit of a surprise to me that it hasn't caught on a little bit more because it's been very, very well received, obviously by the players and the coaches and their families, but also by recruits. Uh, so yeah, this trip, on, I think it's like one of the longest possible flights you can take from yeah. here is to South Africa, I think, right? So, um, which thing I hate, I, I'm afraid to fly, so I'll never be going on this trip. So <laughs> unless, I, unless I somehow drive and hitch a boat, you know, and take a month off to get there. But, uh, you know, it's a little unfortunate in that regard. But, uh, but no, I think uh, it's, yeah, it's obviously still on. They're going to continue to be on as long as they are able, you know, as long as it's financially viable or as long as they find donors or whoever pays for it. Just because, like I said, I think it's quietly been one of those things that has been a major plus for them on the recruiting trail. I mean, it was that and the other one that was actually surprisingly uh, a thing that was mentioned a lot 
was the Amazon series. You know, it was something that would uh, recruits would bring up to me unprompted, you know, as far as uh, just how it was actually a, a real inside look at the Michigan program and not, I don't know, Feinbaum and Stephen A. Smith yelling at each other about Jim Harbaugh going back to the NFL. You know, it was like it was actually a real, like, legitimate inside look, you know, and like, so, so a lot of kids had brought that up unprompted along with the recruiting with these trips, you know. So uh, with that in mind, I mean, again, and, and recruiting benefits aside, like I said, I think the benefit for the players and the coaches, the whole program, I think it, they've been well worth it to this point. So uh, I don't see those stopping anytime soon at all. Well, as I said, coming up uh, in March and moving forward, we'll be focusing on the class of 2020 when we get together next, Steve. And of course, uh, the South Africa trip, spring practice, a lot to talk about in the coming months. So Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports has been our guest this month on our Michigan Man Extra. Always appreciate the time, Steve, and we look forward to uh, a visit next month. Thanks as always, Mike. Thanks again to Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports for being our guest today. I know the majority of you love recruiting news, so we'll try and get back to having Steve on each month with the latest news on the class of 2020 and anything else that's happening in the recruiting world. Until then, we've got a lot going on to talk about on the Michigan sports scene. We'll be back on Tuesday on our regular day, and our guest is going to be Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press, who covers Michigan hoops. And, of course, this show is going live today, our Michigan Man Extra for February. And this afternoon, it's Michigan State, Michigan at Chrysler Center. So, of course, we don't know what's going to happen in that game, but we will have all of that for you on Tuesday's show. So make sure you join us for that. A reminder that you can find our free show app on the iTunes and Google Play stores. You can also hear us weekly on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. If you listen to the show on iTunes, please take a minute to give us a review or comment on the show. It means a lot to us. That will do it for this month's Michigan Man Extra. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!